Grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, from God our Father and from our loving Savior Jesus. Amen. A number of years ago, there was some research and an experiment done to see and to show the effects of hope and what it does to people undergoing hardships. So here's the experiment. Researchers took two groups of rats. They separated them, and they put each group of rats into the water. And one group, the first, I'm going to call it the first group, the first group of rats, they left alone and just kind of watched. And they noticed that after an hour, all the rats in the first group had drowned. But the second group, they kind of, or not kind of, they periodically took them out of the water and then after a little bit returned the rats back to the water. And what they noticed in this second group of rats is that they swam for over 24 hours. So compare that. The first group, nothing happened to them. They drowned in an hour. The second group, still alive after 24 hours and still swimming. So what made those rats keep swimming? It wasn't that they were getting these little breaks and this little rest that they could re-energize and then go back. They had hope. They had the hope that if they swim just a little bit longer, someone or something is going to reach down into the water and pull them out. So if that was the hope that empowered the rats to swim for over 24 hours, how much more and how much greater is the hope in our lives going to affect us and how we live? And so today, you are here because you believe that God has reached down and rescued you. Your coming here gives you that hope. And today, Peter wants to give you more of that hope. The Apostle Peter wants to share with you more of that hope. And when you listen to Peter, he is the guy that knows what hopelessness is all about. We saw it twice in the video and then in the Scripture reading. That whole thing where Jesus said, Do you love, my she- Do you love me? And he said that three times. That was because Peter had denied Jesus three times. Right before Jesus died, he, Peter was in the courtyard trying to figure out what was going to happen, and they asked him, and Peter denied knowing Jesus, denied following Jesus vehemently, so much so that he called down curses that would, and said, God may do whatever he wants with me, I don't know the man. And as he was saying those denials, as he was denying his Savior, Jesus looked right at him. I don't... I don't know what that must have felt like, but that I can think is the definition of hopelessness and guilt. So Peter knows what it's like. And he overcame his hopelessness, not on his own. He didn't overcome it on his own, but through Jesus, his Savior. And so as he writes throughout this whole book of 1 Peter, he is the man that knows hopelessness. And he can relate and he communicates where our hope is. And as I read now in 1 Peter 3, 18-22, I want you to think about where Peter tells us to put our hope. 
And you can follow along as I read on the screens or on the top of page 7 in your worship folder. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. After being made alive, He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water, the flood water, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to Him. So, what did you hear in those verses? There's four phrases right at the beginning of verse 18, and they have a deep impact on us. And I want you to think about, as I tell you again, what those four phrases are. I want you to think about the impact they have. They are, Christ suffered for sins once, one time, the righteous for the unrighteous, and to bring you to God. What do those four phrases tell us? Well, there's a problem, and we all have that problem, and we all know that problem. The problem is sin. And sin has introduced the guilt of sin and the hopelessness that comes with it. And so, since we all are sinners, we all have hopelessness waiting outside of our door. So it's not a matter of if I ever feel hopeless in my life and if I become hopeless, but rather a matter of when hopelessness comes walking in. And Peter says that this is going to happen because we are sinful. And he says something even more because he's telling these Christians the simple gospel message. He says, there's the problem, but don't worry, there's the solution. Jesus is the solution. In those four phrases, Jesus suffered the sins of of all the unrighteous people. He, the one righteous man, suffered for all the unrighteous people and he only had to do it one time. Not over and over again. Not time after time after time. Like Chad told us, when we take a bath, we have to keep cleaning ourselves. No. Christ suffered once. And it reminds me of the words, it is finished, that he said on the cross. It is finished. It is put to rest. It is done with. It is over forever. And you don't have to bring it up ever again because I took care of it. So, the question really is, why in the world is Peter telling Christians who knew this simple message of the Gospel that Jesus took care of everything for them. Why is he telling them this over and over again throughout his whole book? It's because they must have been losing hope. They were losing hope. They were facing persecutions and sufferings. And I don't think we can exclude ourselves from that category of Christians who know the Gospel but still lose hope. So Peter here is telling us too that our hope is is secure. And he wants us to know that when we have this hopelessness feeling, he wants us to look deep inside 
and see that there's this tiny seed of doubt. This tiny seed that we kind of let grow because we see the world around us and the life or our life around us that we live in and the waters of our life seem rough and choppy and we're wondering what in the world is going on? I'm losing hope. I cannot get out of this situation. And you're wondering why is that happening? I know the gospel. I know what's going on. Maybe I'm not worthy of God's forgiveness. That's the tiny seed of doubt that lives in our heart. And when you think about that and you let it grow, it breaks down your identity as God's loved child who has been forgiven. And it makes your identity based upon living the good life. And when you base your identity upon the good life and when it's all about that, that's dangerous and that always fails. Because who can be good enough? In Christ, we have the certification that we are God's loved and forgiven children. We always have hope because of Christ and what He did for us. And I like to think about it like this, because it's like the Super Bowl. The Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl last year. So for all of 2016, It's a historical fact and a a certification that they can call themselves the world champions of football. And their fans even call themselves the world champions of football. But I guarantee you, without a doubt in my mind, that the fans had nothing to do with the Denver Broncos winning the Super Bowl. They were sitting on their couches like us and with us watching them win the Super Bowl and celebrating and eating food and and enjoying fellowship and company. But it's a historical fact that they are the world champions of football. Likewise, Jesus won the game with God for us. And we, I guarantee it, had nothing to do with it. We were sitting on the sidelines on the couch watching Jesus win the game for us, and we were sitting there even with the devil and all his demons and all his unbelieving friends, and they had nothing to do with it either. And so you can say, and you believe, that Jesus' death is for you. And with that, you celebrate a historical fact that actually happened, that you are forgiven and that Jesus has won and said, game over, I did it all, I won. And he took care of all the sin and all the guilt forever. And to emphasize that he took care of all the sin and guilt, Peter talks about what Jesus did after he died and was made alive. Peter says in verse 19, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. So Peter went down to hell, or Peter, not Peter, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus went down to hell. But when he descended into hell, after he was made alive, he wasn't suffering hell because he suffered hell on the cross. He went down and descended into hell to make proclamation of his victory, to say to the devil, the demons, and those unbelieving souls in hell that I won. You tried to beat me. You thought you had me beat and defeated, but I came back and I won game over and it's been such a great victory that there's no chance ever again of you coming back from it. 
It's over. It's done. It's finished. I am the champion. That's what Jesus was saying. And to whom, the, the next thing to think about, and when you look at it, it's, it's odd. To whom did Jesus preach? To the, it's those imprisoned spirits, but to whom was it? Peter specifies. It was to those disobedient spirits and souls long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. It was to the people who lived in Noah's time. When I read this, I say, wait a minute, hold up. Peter, what are you talking about? Why in the world did you bring up the flood? It doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to fit the context. It has nothing to do with it. What is going on? Well, I'm going to explain it to you. If you just give me a minute, well, maybe more than a minute, but I'm going to explain it to you. Here's here's what it is. Are you ready for it? It's all about baptism. Peter says that Noah was saved in the flood waters. He was saved in the the waters of the flood. Why? Because as the waters rose and the earth underneath was breaking apart as the springs of the deep burst forth and the rains, torrential rains were coming down, the ark rose with the water. It's crazy to think about, but Noah was actually saved by the flood. Baptism saves you in the same way. When we say those words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and we apply water to the person while we say those words, God reaches down and picks us up and removes us from our sins, just like Noah was removed from the evil generation around him. So baptism saves you. Baptism saves you. And it's the flood and hope and baptism. And they're all connected and correspond to each other. It's really interesting to think about. But it's true. And that's what Peter wants you to know. That it does save you. It's not just this act that you say to someone else that you're going to do but it actually is a gift from God that saves you. That's what Peter wanted you to know. That's what Peter wanted me to know. That's what Peter wanted these Christians to know. Because it's not just a symbol. It's not just the removal of the dirt. But it's more than that. And that's why God gave this to you. To seal in your mind that you have the forgiveness of sins. Because God says through His Apostle Peter that baptism gives you the pledge of a clear conscience. Now when I hear the words pledge and conscience, I think of two things. When I hear pledge, I think of it's a commitment that I am making to something else or some group or something, you know, someone. And when I hear conscience, I usually am thinking about something I have done that has either hurt people or has bugged me or I know is wrong or something I have done that has been good. And so my conscience doesn't bug me. So the focus for both of those is on myself, on me, on I. But God says He gives you the pledge of a clear conscience in baptism. Let me say that again. In baptism, God gives you the pledge of a clear conscience. So it's not you saying, okay, I believe. Now I want to be baptized to show that I believe. 
No, it's God saying, when you are baptized, when the water and the Word are applied to you, God reaches down and says, you are now pledged to be a, have a clear conscience towards me, and I did it all for you. In the Greek, the word that they use for pledge here is the word of a legally binding contract. It's a, a, a word that they would use much like we would use for a guarantee in the sense of when you buy things. I see them mostly on infomercials. But when you buy something, you have a 30-day guarantee or your money back or a three-year guarantee. A lot of times we'll use the word warranty. You have a 10-year warranty or a lifetime guarantee. And then if you don't, if your product breaks or whatever you do, you're not satisfied, whatever it is, you can take it back and they guarantee you either your money back or a new product or they'll fix it for free with no cost to you. That's the same idea here. So in baptism, God has given you a guarantee that your conscience is clean towards Him. So when He sees you and you look at Him, He's not going to see this dirty, sinful conscience. He sees a clean conscience because He guarantees it for you. And when you think about those guarantees, those 30-day guarantees, those lifetime guarantees, those 10-year warranties, they are only as good as the company that issues them. So if that company were to go into bankruptcy, the company with your guarantee, what's going to happen to that guarantee? It goes down into the hole of bankruptcy with the company and you don't have a guarantee anymore. It's worthless because the company that backed it up is now worthless. God is the one who backs up this guarantee. He's the one who says, I gave it to you and I back it up. What did he back it up with? It saves you, Peter says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we like to think and we know that in guarantees and contracts and all those things, death is something that ends it. The contract, the legal obligation usually is ended in death. Jesus died. So does that make our guarantee in baptism null and void? No. Because he conquered death. He rose from the dead. God made him alive again and said, what he did on the cross and on this earth is valid and I approve it and it's going to stand forever. So you don't just even have a lifetime guarantee of a clean conscience toward God in your baptism. You have a forever guarantee backed up by someone who conquered death. And more so, Peter gets so excited, he goes on and tells you where Jesus is now who is now in heaven at the right hand of God with all angels and powers and authorities in submission to him, the Lord of the universe, the most powerful being who created everything and took away all your sins, says, I'm the one that backs up this guarantee. So take hope in that. Take comfort in that. And understand that it's all done for by me. I like to think about the time when we moved into our, my family, I should say, moved into a new house in New Ulm. That's where I'm from, up in Minnesota. We moved to this, it has a big yard now. We had a small yard, didn't need a big lawnmower, but now we had a really big yard. So we bought a new lawnmower. And the lawnmower was fairly expensive. And so we had the warranty on it for X amount of years, I can't remember. And I remember my dad, because I was there when he bought it, I remember my dad saying, Ben, if you lose this receipt... Things will not go well for you. 
Why did he make sure that I knew that receipt was so important? It's because without that receipt, right? Without that receipt, that warranty wouldn't be valid because we would have no proof that we purchased it. So he made sure that I made sure myself, too, to put that receipt in a very, very, very safe place so we wouldn't be out a lot of money because that receipt gives us comfort, makes us feel safe, so that if anything goes wrong, we are backed up by that piece of paper. Baptism is your receipt. Baptism is the comfort that says you are forgiven. It's that little piece of paper, but it lasts forever. And it says you are forgiven and you have a clear conscience towards God no matter what you do and no matter what you've done because God guarantees it. So you can put your hope in this perfect restorative plan because it's not based upon your initiation of the restoration. And you can take comfort in your baptism as a declarative act of God's will, that you are forgiven and stand before Him innocent, clean, and pure because it's not a decision of man's will. And I want to close now with a quote from Martin Luther. He regarded baptism as one of the greatest and most comforting things that God has ever given to us. He says about baptism, Thus, We must regard baptism and put it to use in such a way that we may draw strength and comfort from it when our sins or conscience oppress us. And we say, but I am baptized. And if I have been baptized, I have the promise, the guarantee that I shall be saved and have eternal life both in body and soul. It's a statement that communicates the hope that we always have in baptism. The hope that we can hold on to and the hope that affects us and changes us more than simply being pulled out of the water a little bit like that group of rats. Their hope kept them swimming around thinking that they may get pulled out of the water and rescued. Our hope, our baptism, Our Savior Jesus guarantees that we will be rescued and He will bring us and take us to Him forever. Amen.